welcome to the Couple of Movies podcast, the podcast where we talk about movie things and stuff and shenanigans. We are your hosts, Robbie and Maggie. <laughs> you didn't like you didn't like the little change to the intro there. The made-up change to the intro, yeah. which I was across the room, not <laughs> near my mic, cuddling a puppy. Ah, uh, so this is it, Maggie. This is it. We were smart with this one, and we split it in two. Episode ten point two. That's right. Boom. Yeah, we if get the, the Deathly last Hallows could do it, so can we. And the Hobbit. Deathly Hallows did it first, and then everybody else and went. And Twilight. And then everybody else went. Oh man, we can make <laughs> twice as much money with our last movie. Let's do that. The Hobbit was three, but it was just one book. You know, it pisses me off about that because everybody's always like, "I'm gonna put the uh, mm-hmm. the PlayStation controller over there." Yes. In fact, let me turn it off real quick. I read The Hobbit twice. Once. In the eighth grade, once in college. I can absolutely make sense of making that into two movies. Three movies seemed excessive. And honestly, I felt like we didn't get enough story out of three movies. Yeah, I, I think they focused too much on the action and adding shit. Looking at you, girl elf. Girl elf, attractive dwarves. Yeah. Well, I guess you, you could roll... You could roll an 18 and take that negative 2 into charisma. And, and you're still a 16, which is above average. <laughs> I'm just There's going to be like one person listening to that, and they're going to think that joke was hilarious. More than one person. <laughs> At least four people. <laughs> Probably. I don't even know if we have uh, that many people listening to yeah, this. Yeah, we do. We do. More or less. Okay. In the first six I don't know epi- if I've had anybody walk up to me and be like, I love the podcast. You should keep doing I it. I get Facebook messages. You do? Yeah. Really? Yeah. I get Facebook ah. I get Facebook messages and texts of like, hey, I'm listening to whatever. Or, well, it's either I'm listening to whatever something something comment or my favorite is just something that has no context. And it's like, <laughs> God, Tom is a twat. <laughs> <laughs> Why can't people tell me these things? Because they don't have your phone number. Yeah, they should send me Facebook messages. It'll make That's me feel true. special. Send Robbie Facebook messages. <laughs> Tweet at couple of movies. Hey, Robbie, I agree about Tom. I see. I don't even care. Um, I just have to take my dog for a walk, so it might be a little awkward getting back into swing things. I think we're talking about um, this is going to be a blur of, of sound. I don't even care. <laughs> no, you cut out the part when I <laughs> yell cut here. I said that after. Um, no, I think we were talking about movies that didn't need to be cut into multiple parts. I could I could see the Hobbit My being. My God, your attention span! Congratulations. <laughs> <coughs> I could see the Hobbit being cut into into three movies. Mm, um, two makes more sense. I mean, but if they didn't add anything, yeah, there, there were there were parts of the movie that they just didn't need, and there yeah. were like most of the first one. The whole uh, the first one was a weird experience for me because watching it, I kept looking at my compatriots going, "Wait, I read this twice. Did that happen?" No, but it was cool because I think what they were doing was they were developing the dwarf characters. I but mean, that they could have done that without the like make it make it about bros. Yeah, and not about um, gold. No, Pose you can make it about bros, but make it about bros and not about some crush that one of the bros has. And you know the problem with that whole thing was was that it, it cheapened uh, Legolas and Gimli's relationship later on. 
because they have an epic romance. Yeah. Um, but there was there was this whole big thing where it was like elves and dwarves hated each other because the Silmaril, I think, got stolen by the dwarves and they just didn't fucking give it back. And Gimli and Legolas were like the first dwarf elf uh, couple. Friend bros. <laughs> Bro friends. But they were like the first elf dwarf that, that got along in like a really long time. And no one throws a dwarf. It just it cheapened no, the whole tosses. thing. Yeah, no, nobody no. tosses a dwarf. Can I love Gimli. Reese Davies. So much. Uh, is this John Reese Davies? John Reese Davies or Jonathan Reese Davies. Also of the Indiana Jones series. And Treebeard. He was also Treebeard. He was Treebeard. He's yeah. a magical man. I think the way that ended up happening where it's that they didn't have anybody else that was that tall on set. Yeah. And he, he's not even, like, overly tall. I mean, he's a big guy. He's he's about your height. I think he's 6'2". Yeah, I, I think I looked it up. I think he's 6'2". Yeah. He's... Hang on, I'm going I'm to Google it right now. Without any sort of... Without any sort of effects, he's exactly taller than the Hobbit actors than a dwarf would be over six a one. Hobbit. So he's actually not my height. He's 6'1". Okay. But, I mean, everybody else in that movie if you're as really short, small. If um, you're as short as I am... One inch is negligible. Who is uh the oh god damn it and Vigo Mortensen? He's How like what five ten? I don't even that that probably sounds right. Five nine. You cannot wield it. None of us can. Once you start hearing the nasal voice with Aragorn, you can't unhear it. Well, that's because English isn't his first language. Really? It's five eleven. He's Danish. Huh. Wait, Aragorn's Vigo Mortensen. Yeah. Yeah, he's Danish. I didn't realize he was a Dane. I mean, yeah. I figured he was maybe European, but I didn't think it was. Uh, yeah. Uh, but they they teach Eng they teach English to. Yeah, everybody in Europe learns like four languages because they're better than us. But <laughs> <laughs> no, we only learn one language because we're better than them, and they have to compensate. See what I did there? Hashtag America. <laughs> I wish you could see my face. <laughs> Muscle cars are nothing. Yeah. I wouldn't mind an old school muscle car. I think my dad had a, a Mustang. It was like a 60-something Mustang. And he got rid of it whenever he started having kids because he had to be a responsible adult. And it makes me so sad every time I hear about it. That's, that's the thing that happens. I went through <sighs> a model car phase. My older brother went through a model airplane and model car phase. And I went through just a model car phase because I really wanted to be a mechanic when I got older. Uh, yeah, you probably know more about cars than I do. Well, no, you definitely know more about cars than I do. That's because I've had bad cars. Hold <laughs> that thought. I've had I, bad cars too, but I have a mechanic as a brother. Yeah. And it like compensates for it. It's like, that's, yeah, I have shitty cars, but I also have a guy that I can call. Yeah, you have a guy. I ha I have the guy too. It's my older brother. But um. But that's that's what he his uh, associates is in. Nice. His, uh, yeah, he's a well, mechanic. Like he's a literal mechanic. This is super random. You cut it out later. I don't care. <laughs> um. Did I tweet about a couple of movies? Uh, no. Oh. Mentioned by lowercase font. <gasps> oh! I don't know who that is. That's my friend JP. Okay. Yay! Look at her face. All right, cue the Sarah. She, it's, it's the picture of Penny. Penny emotes great sorrow. <laughs> what did he do? <laughs> cue the Sarah McLaughlin music. <laughs> That's perfect. Mm. Okay, so cars. Um, I favorited it. I don't know if I favorited it under a couple of movies or Probably if I favorited a couple it under. Um, so my mom 
explained feminism to me when I was five. And then based on that, like, that was my foundation. And then I built on that, like, just a general... Actually, it's funny that she explained that to me when I was five. Because apparently, before that, when I was a toddler, I was obsessed with being as strong uh, as my brother and my dad. And so, my mom told me that she remembers, like, bringing the groceries home. And that I would, like, pick up the gallon jug of Sunny D. And be like, Maggie, you got that? And like, yeah, I got it. And then I would sumo <laughs> wrestle it into the house. Because I would refuse help. Uh, <coughs> that, might, that might be one of those things I do with siblings. I imagine if I wasn't there, Sarah would have been, like, a tomboy. Sister. <laughs> Probably. Yeah, but you got I the was, runoff manliness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I actually really... I still think I'm fairly manly. But it's yeah. like the rest of my family is ridiculous. Yeah. No. I. I it's like I grew up with Ron Swanson <laughs> and <laughs> Bobby Hill. No, not Bobby Hill. I am Bobby Hill. <laughs> Hank Hill. <laughs> oh, God. No, I like traditionally feminine women confuse me because I want to be like, how'd you do that? How do you just how do you do that? I don't get it. Like, I don't know how to do it. But um. At some point after the age of five, before the age of 12, I decided that I wanted to study auto mechanics because I wanted to be self-sufficient and or a use to other people. And I never followed through with that at all. <laughs> but it's not, it's not that hard. Though. Well, I mean, I would say it's not it's that not, hard. It's, it, it's, it's not that hard on old engines. Like, I almost I was going to buy this. Well, no, I, I mean, I don't want to say like it's not that hard because mechanics like it's. It's a fairly involved thing, but I mean, it, yeah. it wouldn't take. You could probably go back and to like a trade school and get that done in like a year and a half or less. Well, you could do the trade school thing, but that's on like that's on like classical mechanics because modern mechanics, modern auto mechanics is very digital. Everything. Yeah, every but I think it's just like a thing that you hook up because they they were starting to do that yeah. whenever we were in school and we we toured Ooh. the uh, the trade school. Yeah. <coughs> it was actually a friend of mine was the um the the mechanic teacher, nice. Ben uh, Ransom. His his dad, Mr. Buster, was the uh, the mechanic teacher at the trade school, and oh cool, yeah, he taught my brother. Nice. Yeah. Now, um, once cars got very very digital, I was just like, never mind, come <laughs> out. But I'm trying to find where this went I, I <laughs> off the rails. We'll let you finish that thought, um, and then we'll get into the movies. Muscle cars. Muscle cars. That's what it was. Uh, I built. Model cars. Yes. And I had... We are back on track. Yes. Sort of. More or less. I had a 65 Shelby Mustang model. And I was super proud of it because it was the only one up until that point where I hadn't completely screwed up the paint job. Because you get really good oil paints and then really shitty plastic brushes. Oh, I know. I... I college roommate with Warhammer people. There you go. Um, <laughs> so I was... They didn't model paint. They just painted aliens. There you go. I was so excited that Oddly I... Oddly impressive. Like, no, it's when it's done well, it's amazing. I was so proud that the shell of the car had a good paint job, and then I went in and I did the engine parts once I'd like glued it together, and I like went in, did the whole thing. But then I realized that I had started assembling things, and I'd lost the drive shaft to my 65 Shelby. So I rubber-cemented a toothpick in its place because it didn't need to have any sort of motion. I, I knew some of those words. <laughs> <laughs> the drive shaft. 
I, I okay. think I know what a drive shaft is. Yeah. It's fine. It's fine. It's the fine. drive shaft. <laughs> hold on. Because this is one of the things I do know. Because I had to have rear differential explained to me. But I know what the drive shaft is. The it's the thing that goes from the front axle to the back axle, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, like, turning out of your transmission yeah. is the drive shaft. And that's what makes your rear axle. And, and I know that because, uh, like, big trucks that mm-hmm. have uh, air brakes. Yeah. You have to take apart the drive shaft to be able to tow them no oh man that's hardcore yeah that's crazy there's like a there's a joint in the middle i think no i've seen it yeah i know exactly what you're talking about you have to like take it and undo all that shit that makes sense anyway so uh, drive shafts and how they work is the extent of my automobile experience you know you know what you know why you know why this is fine though because these these past three episodes have been more about getting to know us and why yes. we like the movies that we do. That's true. And that's why this stuff's going to stay in there. Because yeah. FTW. Also, we only have two movies this episode. Boom. Uh, two movies this two episode. Movies. So we can go off yes. the rails a bit, and it still won't be like episode seven. And I tried to keep these two movies, because I figured this would be this was one of the ones that was kind of borderline for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. I have strong sentimental feelings about this movie. Well, that was why I'd put it on there, too. That was the only reason I put that Well, we have strong sentimental feelings, but they're very different strong sentimental (laughs) feelings. I have strong sentimental feelings about your last movie that you put in your top three. (coughs) But it's... And I recently rewatched it here at your house, and I was like, oh my god. Yeah, it wasn't too long ago. Was it whenever I was somewhere else? No, you were here. It was in the last six months. Okay. I rewatched it, and it was the first time I watched it in its entirety in a very long time. And I was like, oh, my God, this movie is amazing. Um, well, anyway, what is the movie? Yeah, it's your movie, so you guys Oh, it's mine. Talking about Clerks. What? Uh, in, our top five, in our top five movies. I almost said Stephen King. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's very wrong. Yeah. No, in our top five movies, we did the first three of them, two of which were exclusively mine. Uh, yeah, but, I mean, at least one of those was borderline mine. Yeah. It, it yeah. was kind of in descending order, like the uh, the, the last one we talked about. Uh, that was why we, had, whenever we had organized them. Okay, um, yeah. Um, my strong sentimental feelings about Clerks involves that I had already seen. I had already seen Mallrats. Loved Mallrats. And I knew that there were rumblings of dogma, but it didn't exist yet, really. But my brother and his friends brought over Clerks, one, the original. The, the proto film from which everything else comes forth, um, and we watched it on my eleventh birthday, which is wildly <laughs> inappropriate. Um, and then I became the authority on remembering the difference between snowballing and felching. <laughs> <laughs> Where the fuck is felching? Oh, um, hey kids, I'm not gonna explain this on the podcast. <laughs> I have to, I have to check this out because now I'm curious. It was just like those were the two sex acts that were described in Clerks, and like a Wikipedia page. I just cataloged what they were and like moved on with my life. I mean, I remember snowballing. Yeah. Um. Everybody remembers. When do they talk about felching? They do. It's in that movie. Because there is no other reason that I would have cataloged that information. <laughs> I remember them talking about uh, transvestite porn. It does not relate to me in the <laughs> and least. Randall watching it like a learning experience. Was it like he had Clash of the Titans on and also? Fi- um, no, it was whenever the, uh, the the girl that was dating uh, Dante mm-hmm. like 
not dating, but like dating in quotation marks. <laughs> his uh, his ex, mm-hmm. which she was coming to visit, mm-hmm. and he just had it on. Oh okay. Um. So yeah, the uh, the transvestite porn story uh, with clerks, because I have the uh, like the the fifteenth or tenth edition. Uh, you have an anniversary edition. Yeah. <laughs> DVD. It's got the original theatrical release on there too. Uh, well, the ending is actually different. Yes, I knew that. But the uh, the transvestite porn clerks came out ninety four, which means that uh, saying transvestite was still funny then. Yeah, you could make whole people the punchline of things, and yeah. no one would come for your blood on Twitter. Right. Um. So whenever they were recording it. They needed to get the, uh, the the sound for that just because it was it was in the background mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's Kevin Smith for sure I think maybe Scott Mosier and there's a third person and they're basically just sitting there in like a sound recording booth being Making like sex noises uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> wait what's it no it gets better um, this isn't him just watching like something called chicks with dicks is yeah it? it's it's transvestite porn he's <laughs> watching chicks with dicks which is transvestite porn that's a real title. <laughs> I shouldn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think it's I don't think it's called Chicks with Dicks. Mm-hmm. I think it's um like that's the genre title. I I think it just says it's transvestite porn. Mm, okay. I don't remember off the top of my head the title. Mm. I don't. I'm not that I invested. I know at some point he's watching Clash of the Titans. <laughs> <laughs> um. But anyway. it's uh yeah, he's Randall's sitting there watching it and it's Edit carefully. <laughs> <laughs> At, at the end of that whole clip, um, which you can't hear it in the movie, but it was one of those things where it was one of the early nights with Kevin Smith. I think it was some anniversary thing where they were showing the movie. Um, Kevin Smith said, and here's your boots and a sandwich. <laughs> There's a story to that. Mm-hmm. I know. You told me the story, yeah. but tell um, yeah. if you, whenever Whenever Kevin Smith was growing up, they had a Nambla. Which is the National Association of Man Boy Love. Mm-hmm. Oh um, and at some point in Kevin Smith's youth, youth, they found the person who had been approached by Nambla, uh, you know, a pedophile. Mm-hmm. And I, they got dropped off like outside the town near Kevin Smith. It was near enough that he was it was on the news and his yeah. local news because this was before the internet. Somewhere in Jersey. Yeah. In the vicinity of Red Bank. Um. They they drop off this kid and they left him with literally just a pair of boots and a sandwich. Oh, that's <laughs> crazy. And and it just I think it's one of those things where it shows the difference between then and now. Yeah. That like that you could not make that joke. No, you can't make that joke now. Like that's no. not something that people would laugh at now, at all. I mean, they would, but they wouldn't own it on social media. <laughs> Yeah. The thing is, like, because I, actually, <laughs> this is super dorky. I wrote a paper on the canon and how every addition to the canon changes the canon. As in just the canon in general? Like the canon of classics. Okay. Yeah. And because the, because the film canon is so different than the literature canon, because literature canon is like 2,000 years. And the film canon is like 112. Uh, <laughs> so you have a real different experience there. But um, 
so you have the canon, and it's like any time that the pop culture, the popular culture, whatever that may be, admits something uh, to the canon, deems it a classic, a modern classic, whatever you want to say, um, whatever adjective you need so that it is considered something like worthy to be studied, worthy to be considered as an influence on what comes after it. It changes the way you look at everything before it. Um, so, like, Clerks was interesting in that it accomplished something as an indie film that things before it from studios couldn't have done. You, you, you couldn't just, like, randomly name drop sex acts while also... <laughs> while also mimicking, like, Odysseus's day or Odysseus's journey. Uh... Like, it accomplishes something while also changing the game, as it were. Uh, and now... Yeah, I mean, you don't have clerks. You don't have, like, office space or uh, really any work time. Uh, yeah. So we're 21 years past that. And now we know, like, there are things that you can't say in something that will be admitted to the canon. But there are things in the canon that said the things that you can't say now. <laughs> and that's a unique place to be. That's an interesting, like point to plot on the map of humanity. I wanted to be deeper than that, but I can't elaborate cuz my attention span is stupid. I think uh I mean the the reason that I think I like clerks though, it's 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 more the uh the, the backstory. It's like those little things like that. Um it's it's that Kevin Smith basically made this movie in his spare time and he built a career around mm -hmm. it. Mhm. I mean, he worked his ass off. It wasn't like it yeah. was just a fun thing. It he didn't sleep for a month. He sold his. He sold a huge chunk of his comic book collection. And this was after what a hurricane had struck Jersey. I think I there was some big storm. Like, whenever he was writing uh, the script for it, he was. I think I could be making this up, but I think it was basically like him at his parents' house and his cats. And they were. They I were didn't, all. I didn't know storm struck. Jersey, New York, until Hurricane Sandy. I think there was some big storm that hit Jersey. Hmm. Did not know that. Yeah. Like, he had lost a lot of things, and then he sold a lot of things, and then he ran up about $30,000 in debt just to make yeah. clerks. And I think that's the part of clerks that – the clerks – blah, 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 blah. That's the parts of clerks that I like. Yeah. Um, it's – It's uh, got character. It has character, and honestly – for such a, a genuinely, like, okay, if a studio had backed Clerks, it would still be a totally good movie. But when you know... Well, yeah, because Clerks 2 was good. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Clerks 2. We'll come back to that. <laughs> um, In Clerks 3, I, I, I have no doubt that we'll Clerks 3 is going to be We'll good. get there, and we'll have strong feelings. It's fine. But, um, no, I think he's working on Clerks 3. It's, I think... It's well, he's doing mall brats first. Yeah, but because I think the three is in there. Yeah, no, it's on the to do list. Um, the thing, like, if any sort of converging forces had made Clerks, Clerks would still be without its background, like an entertaining movie, because it just, you know, it toys with the format. It's in black and white. The dialogue is incredible and quotable and classic. Like, it's, it's value without extenuating circumstances exists. But when you think about the fact that you had Kevin Smith, a guy from New Jersey, 
who had no family members in movies. Right. Who managed to just take a love of movies and figure out how to do it. And then sell all his worldly possessions and not sleep for 36 days. And approximately. And just make it out of like pure passion and blood, sweat, and tears. When there was no YouTube, you couldn't carry around an editing suite in your pocket. It's really like a milestone of film. Just for like what what was that became Clerks and what Clerks became. That's it's huge. Well, and I think it, I think that we're also like you said, there's no YouTube, there's no Yeah. I think we're kind of living in the wake of Clerks. And and I know that sounds like it's it may be uh, giving Clerks too much credit. Um, but I think if there was no Clerks, there would be no YouTube. Well, I mean, like or there would be no. It wouldn't. I don't. I don't maybe not that far, but yeah. I think Clerks definitely contributed to that um, user made yeah. made uh, content. Like, if we give the masses the means, like we can get something that deserves to be held up against the greats. Right. Yeah. It's. Um, it's so like art is no longer the property of the one percent or the people who appeal to the one percent, which is like that's, I I mean well okay because I studied literature. In like classical terms, you had people who came from noble means, so they were educated, but they weren't making money on their own, so they get benefactors. The benefactors would be like, I will keep you alive, and then means you find acceptable if you will produce this art. And I feel like that's. That lasted into the 20th century. That lasted into the golden age of cinema of people saying, like, I'll back you if you do this. Well, yeah, they, they, have a, they have a title for that person in movies, like the producer. Yes. Yes, of course. Um, but Clerks deserves its place in artistic history for being the point at which it's like, oh, you can make something that deserves to be with the greats without the benefactor and the money and the, the breeding. And and like I said, I think we're living in the age where that's uh, we're seeing the results of that sort of attitude. Yeah, and, and and I think that's that's a really good reason to appreciate Clerks. I mean, that's why I like Clerks. That's why I like Kevin Smith as a director. Um, the democracy of art. Yes, democracy of art. That's some deep shit. I'm gonna write that down. Save the high five. <laughs> I mean, in the grand scheme of things, if you're on YouTube at any given moment, the democracy of art still involves, like, a still frame of boobs. But bread and circuses, people are always going to appeal to that. But. but, I mean, we're part of that democracy of art. I know. We're, we're some losers who can't <laughs> afford to rub two pennies together it's that true. are making a podcast that could hypothetically go out to millions. I mean... That's a podcast atop a Target card table bought on clearance for $36, <laughs> including the four chairs. <laughs> Hashtag not side. But I mean, we're, we're part of that. We're part of that. Um, the, the Kevin Smith uh, promise to art. And it's not to say that it hasn't happened ever before, but I think that mm. now more than ever, we've reached a point where um, the individual. Yeah has as much say as the conglomerate yeah <laughs> she said the conglomerate in case you yeah. didn't catch that mic sorry <laughs> what so clerks that's why clerks is awesome clerks what is 
the last movie, the one that both of us yes. approved. The one that is in both of our official top three. Love this movie forever. It's in my heart. It's in my soul. Thank you, Phil Collins. Um, but um, bump, bump, shh. Shaun of the Dead. Yes. Yes. Do you remember the first time you saw Shaun of the Dead? It may have been. If it wasn't a rental, it was on Comedy Central. Really? It may have been that long. Like, I don't know if I if I caught it as a because when did when okay. did it come out? When if did it come you, out? What it was the came, year out it came out in two thousand four. Okay, that would have been why, because okay. my family wouldn't have rented Shaun of the Dead. That's fair. Okay, if that's the case, I'm sorry that the first time you saw Shaun of the Dead was on a network of television. They don't edit that much in the. Uh, but Shaun of the Dead. Aside from being included in my top three favorite movies of all time, is included in my top three uses of the F word. <laughs> because Sean's character says to David, the twatty roommate, and I quote, Get fucked, four eyes! <laughs> Which is in my top three of favorite uses of the F word, along with Sean Connery in The Rock, Michael Bay's P.S. The Resistance. And Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion. I'm not sorry. I, we rented Shaun of the Dead. Uh, a friend of mine from out of state. I had s- First, Shaun of the Dead came out when I was still on really good, like, weekly, on a regular base terms with a lady that owned a mom-and-pop video store in my hometown. See, and that might have been whenever I saw it, too. It may have been whenever I was working on Blockbuster, which, for those of you that don't know, <laughs> Blockbuster... Used to be a thing. And used to be a nationwide chain of stores that would rent out movies. Yes. Uh, like like a red box, but with a person inside the red box. Usually, who would accept two to three people. Paper money. Yes. Yeah. Two to three people, but it was really like one person who was so because both of them were sort of high. <laughs> you could also buy candy. You could sometimes acquire movie posters. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they sold old DVDs. You didn't just keep them for twenty five days and pay twenty five dollars for the white garbage or whatever. It doesn't matter. Shaun of the Dead. Shaun of the Dead. So when I was this is taking a step back. When I was in homeschool, all my friends were older than me, except for like one. So, years later, I am a junior in high school, and I think the holidays are approaching, and so my mom and I start making like holiday phone calls and talking to people, and my friend Christina, who now lives somewhere in Lake Charles, um, is like, hey, when you get a chance, watch Shaun of the Dead. You'll get it. <laughs> Which immediately made me think that this movie was very puzzling. And maybe like art house. By the way, for those of you who have listened to the last podcast mm-hmm. where we talked about Star Wars and the hero's journey, mm-hmm. Shaun of the Dead is a movie that follows the hero's journey. It does. From beginning oh to God, end. It so does. It so does. Um... <laughs> Well, I'll let you finish your thing, and then I'll say why, <laughs> why I said that. Well, I'm going to branch into that eventually. 
because part, part of what you just said um, factors into why Shaun of the Dead is so tightly guarded within the wheelhouse of things that I love. <laughs> uh, so my friend Christine was like, Maggie, if you get a chance, watch Shaun of the Dead. You'll get it. And I didn't know what that meant. And then <laughs> Mom and I rented it on New Year's Eve, um, the transition from 2004 to 2005. We watched it, and I was like, this is amazing. I don't think I had ever watched a zombie movie with my mom before. <laughs> but I was 18. She got a pack of, like, Smirnoff ice, and <laughs> we split it. This is dumb. Whatever. Uh, we split a six-pack of Smirnoff ice. I think I drank one and a half. <laughs> I'm so not a drinker in high school. I don't understand kids who could drink in high school. But we watched it. I was like, this is amazing. I love everything about this. Uh, years later, like f- four years later, I had already taken lit theory to get my English degree. I'd taken it, believed I had failed it, gotten a C, got out of it, did not have to take it a second time. Somewhere in senior year, I'm sitting around and I'm thinking about lit theory, and then I realized that you have symbols within a story that explain the story. Like you have a Rosetta Stone within the story translate it into the symbols you need and it occurred to me that the reason Sean lived through the zombie apocalypse is because of the scene in which Diane, the failed actress is explaining to them (laughs) how they're going to get from somebody's garden to the Winchester. Like a drunk who's lost a bet. (laughs) God, it's perfect. But she's coaching them in how to blend in with zombies because they understand that they have to assimilate to get into safety. And it occurred to me that the reason Sean survived um, the zombie apocalypse is because he had been dead already. And that Liz says that at the beginning at the beginning that she uh, that Liz says at the beginning that the way that they live she's afraid that she's going to die having never really lived. And then I was like, oh, my God, I understand symbolism. And then that was the moment when, like, I have turned into an English major. Because before that, I felt like a really bad English major because I really deserved a fail at theory. Okay, let me explain my history of Shaun of the Dead. Um, <coughs> it came out, when did it come out? 2004. 2004. I didn't, I didn't catch it in the movie theaters because I was in high school. It was a real independent release. I'm not sure yeah. what kind of theater... Um, it would have gotten released in. I didn't. I didn't really catch it until in college, and at at that point, um, there were so many. There was oversaturation of zombie films. Like it's. It might be bad now, but it was even worse then. Yeah, you had Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead. You had. Oh my God! So many zombie movies. Well, even even it was even in uh, video games. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you'd had the entire reign of Resident Evil. And you had Left 4 Dead, which was an yeah. entirely different experience. Yeah. Though Left 4 Dead was amazing. It still is amazing. I, I believe you. I just what? don't care. Uh. I'm sorry. No, it's fine. No, it's I fine. mean, I care that you <laughs> like it. I care that you like it. I just don't care about it as a medium. What, like video games? or uh? Everything after the Super Nintendo. That's fair. That's fair. No, that's fair. That's fair. Um, I just like to scroll and shoot and jump. <laughs> that's why I tried to get you to play. Uh, <laughs> Big Planet. Yeah. You know, 
if there had been no frontwards, backwards, I'd have been okay. <laughs> if it had been strictly 2D instead of 2D with lanes. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. I picked up on that L1 grab hold jump thing. It took a while. <laughs> we played Little Big Planet today. Once. I gotta say though, I gotta say though, every other couple I've heard talk about whenever they tried to play Little Big Planet together, it ended the same way Monopoly ends with my with <laughs> most people's family. How it's would like, I have even somebody like flips the table and they're like, Fuck you I was tempted to be like, This isn't fun anymore, I suck at this. <laughs> Yeah, that's your sister. Headbanger. I'm inciting a riot. <laughs> but I mean, there was there was there was a lot of other uh, video games that were based around zombies. I think Dead Rising had gotten popular around that time. Um. Video games from 2001 to 2007. Couldn't tell you. Well, at the time, it was one of those things where they were figuring out, like, big mobs were fun. And yeah. if you get a big mob while you have a gun and nobody else has a gun. That was actually how Left 4 Dead happened. They were playing a multiplayer with uh, Halo. Not Halo. Half-Life. Okay. And they found out how much fun it was to play a version of the multiplayer where uh, one person had a gun and everybody else had knives. That's messed up. And it was, like, one ver- one V, like, seven. Um, and that eventually evolved into Left 4 Dead. Okay, I should say that my understanding of how video games work changed once I actually played Dungeons and Dragons, <laughs> <laughs> and that wasn't until was 2009. <laughs> that was I the first person to play Dungeons and Dragons with you? No, 2009. No. Never mind. Yeah. No, I didn't meet you until 2013. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dates are hard. <laughs> I, I have a history minor. And I'm very good at a sequence <laughs> of events. Um, anyway. Unless I'm not. To keep it to keep it from getting sidetracked. Um, at the time, zombie movies were really big. Yes. And it was also the point that um, so bad it's good movies started to get popular. And I attribute that entirely to the internet. <laughs> <laughs> Patton Oswald. I blame Patton Oswald. Why? Uh, because of because of because rape stuff. Deathbed. Deathbed. Yeah. Oh my god, Deathbed. I blame Deathbed. Deathbed in the room. God, the room. I'm still sad I didn't get to watch Deathbed whenever that was uh there was a band trip where they got to watch Deathbed and oh it makes god. me sad that I was on the wrong bus. Uh Deathbed. <laughs> my friend Terrence, uh Doctor underscore Linguini, if you're on Twitter. By all means follow him. You'll blow up his email and confuse him. Uh <laughs> My friend Terrence and I spent an entire afternoon watching YouTube videos that consisted of stand-up comedy and Maru, the Scottish fold cat in Japan. (laughs) (laughs) And that was a day well spent. Not remotely sorry. That was the day I discovered Ray LaMontagne. But um, one of the many videos we watched was Patton Oswalt's deathbed talking about how he as a creative person as a writer as a person who cares about the quality of things <laughs> heard the deathbed existed and his entire internal crisis about realizing 
that deathbed went from conception to pre-production to (laughs) post-production. I was like, that speaks to me in my soul. Yeah, so bad it's good. Stupid internet. And and I'm not saying in any way, shape, or form that Shaun of the Dead was even close to so bad it's good. No, it's legitimately good. But... A, another thing you have to realize about cinema, I mean, it's it's even now, um, parody movies at that point also started to suck. Oh, God. We had already no, had... we had completely lost sight yeah. of what the true north of satire is. Um, Jesus Christ. And then Edgar Wright came along with Shaun Jeez. of the Dead. Edgar Wright, I don't even think of him as a satirist. I think of him as someone who makes movies... That he wants to watch. Yeah, well, that was what the Cornetta trilogy is, yeah. which is what uh, it started. It was Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg, yeah. and they were like, "We're gonna make, we should make three movies, mm-hmm. um, and a zombie movie, um, a buddy cop movie, a buddy cop movie, God. and a into the world movie." That's beautiful. I think oh that was, God. I think it was the initial conception of the Cornetta trilogy. Oh, that makes me so happy. Of which Shaun of the Dead is the first one. Yes. And arguably the best one. I know. Yeah. Pe- I, I mean, know they, people, both, they both have parts. They both I have know parts. People, I know people who like Hot Fuzz more than Shaun of the Dead. And as much as I love. I need to. And I need to rewatch World's End. Yeah. Because so I feel like I. World's End of the Cornetta trilogy. I feel like World's End. Um, it, it's, it doesn't get the appreciation it deserves. Well, that's because we couldn't watch it in a vacuum. Like, when you watched Shaun of the Dead, you didn't know Edgar Wright's name. You didn't know who Simon Pegg was. You didn't know Simon Pegg, Nick Frost, weird bromance affair. <laughs> like, you watched it in a vacuum, and you saw only that movie, opening credits to closing credits, and that was it. When we got to World's End, that was the end of an era. Yeah. Like, we couldn't watch that in a vacuum. We knew the director's name. We knew the actor's names. We knew what was going to happen. Like, we knew that that there was going to be an arc, there was going to be explosions, there was going to be special effects. Bill Nye was going to show up at some <laughs> point. Like, we had expectations. We can't ever watch World's End without those expectations. Like, we can't. Future generations totally can. They can happen upon it and be like, oh, what's this? And they can watch it, and they have no idea what's going on, and they can just see it for its structural value unto itself. We could not do that. We were already in the fandom. But yeah, back to my my uh, experience with Shaun of the Dead. So that was that was how I watched Shaun of the Dead, um, and it, it was it was amazing. Yes. And uh, it was one of those movies that I kept going back to every time I'd like see it on TV. So I'd, I'd watched it countless times, and eventually I took a class in college that was um, the undead. I am so jealous. <laughs> That was the subject matter of the oh class. Um, the undead and the symbolism of the undead. And it made me sad because the teacher didn't want to talk about zombies. Aww. How do you even teach a class without zombies? <laughs> well, but I mean, you, you, also have to, you also have to look at was what... Was it all vampires and Frankenstein? No, no, it wasn't all vampires and Frankenstein. It was, um, he, went, he went back further than that. Um, it was like folklore is whenever we would start. Like mm-hmm. that, was, that was the line that it would start. And it wasn't even for the subject matter that this was a cool class. It was a really good teacher. No, I understand that. Well, it was actually two teachers that taught the class. Because it was it was this class that, um, I think the story for the class was that it was fairly popular, but um, 
both of the teachers were kind of older, like tenured teachers, and they didn't think they would that the class would be popular enough or something. And it ended up uh, like whenever they put it on uh, the the list of course the courses available, it filled up in like fifteen minutes. Um, that was actually the class that I got to talk about uh, my favorite episode of Buffy. Which one's your favorite? The Zeppo. Oh yeah 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 yeah. No, we've discussed that on the yeah. podcast before, so we don't need to go back into right. it. Right. Um, Though we should figure out which episode that was and tag it the Zeppo. <laughs> <laughs> so if anybody's listening to this one in a vacuum, they haven't gone through the whole series, they can go back and find that one. Yeah. I don't remember which one it was. It was it was the last episode. Was it? I think so. Okay. Um but that was that was the class. And he had spent most of the year talking about um the hero's journey. Because that was one of the big things that he would like to emphasize. That's um, awesome. And I don't I don't have quite the English background that you do. Like I'm like Halfway to the English major, halfway to the psychology major. If it makes you feel better, I am a terrible <laughs> English major. I um, was so bad at like they let me out by the skin of my teeth. <laughs> They're like, please leave. We don't want to teach you anymore. He had, but he he had spent most of the year talking about um, the hero's journey, mm-hmm. and there were there were a couple of Ar- the Arthurian legend. Oh my God, Arthur! Um, and there were there were a couple of that there were a couple of steps of the Arthurian legend that he would emphasize every time he would mention it, and it was actual class I failed. (laughs) (laughs) I failed medieval literature, excluding Chaucer. Um, but it was uh the you know the hero gets called yeah, um and then he gets a special weapon yeah, and then he goes to save a person that he cares for yeah, (laughs) and then. Um, I'm only giggling because I got to see Shaun of the Dead at a quote along in the Alamo Draft House, <laughs> and they issued us quote uh, cricket bats. In quote, they were not cricket bats. the 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 two inflatable noisemakers you normally get at a space uh, a sports yeah, stadium. Yeah, yeah. We each got one of those, and it says, "I have one in my trunk right now." <laughs> it says on white, "You've got red on you." <laughs> and then they're like, every time Sean hits a zombie with a cricket bat, hit your friends. <laughs> and there were five of us, and we're just like wailing on each other like crazy. <laughs> Go on. But um, where where I'm going with this was, um, my a draft house sponsor us. <laughs> <laughs> uh, where I'm going with this though, was my my paper my. My yes. paper at the end of Sorry. the semester that we had to write, it was, um, they were, they were really loose on what we could write it on. <gasps> so jealous about this class. So what I wrote mine on was how Shaun of the Dead fulfills the Arthurian legend. <laughs> oh my God. Which, I mean, it totally does. I, if you, and, it, and it's even, if you take, um, Nick Frost's character, he's Merlin. Ed. He's totally Merlin. He is totally Merlin. <laughs> Also, in the fact that Sir Thomas Mallory's Lamorne d'Arthur features Merlin being really instrumental for uh, all of 60 pages. <laughs> and then getting trapped in a cave by a girl <laughs> he thought would have sex with him. <laughs> and then he's not seen for 600 more pages. I'm still upset about that. <laughs> anyway. Um, but yeah, that was like that a, was my paper. Like The um, Merlin character being completely subject to his carnal desires makes total sense. Continue. The uh the, the actor friend, the douchebag actor friend. David. David. Uh Dylan Moran, yeah. He was uh I, I think I compared him to Lancelot. 
No, that makes sense. Okay, yeah. Because I mean, Liz for most of the Gwyneth movie, there. well, and most of the movie, he was fairly competent. He was one of the more competent people of the I group. I mean, he's smart and yeah. Yeah, well, he he's was, he was more together. competent than most of the people. Yeah. Um, he was keeping a fairly level head until right towards the end. <laughs> yeah. And you could also argue oh. that uh, the actor f- female lady would could um, be Merlin too. Diane. Oh, by the way, in the official Cornetto canon. Diane lives. She yeah. She climbs she, in a tree. She yeah. And didn't she live off of uh, David's like flesh? Like she like, I, ate his leg or something. It's something super gross, but she still had his leg when she was found, yeah. and she'd been using it as a baton to fight off zombies. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, what I did, and I think I ended up getting a C on the paper because I basically wrote it in like I mean it was like oh, an afternoon. Um, but yeah, that was. That's my. That's been my experience with Shauna. That was my introduction to the uh, Cornetta trilogy. I will say this in academic circles: it's very difficult to make a comparison that has never been made before. <laughs> this sounds super dumb. What in junior year? I tried to compare a part of T.S. Eliot's *The Wasteland* to Gabriel Garcia Marquez's um, *Handsomest Drama in the World*. Then you had these two drowned figures, and they're supposed to teach you something about how you live, but they're both dead. No one had ever made that comparison before, <laughs> so I could find zero academic resources to back me up. Well, see, I think at the time I didn't even think to look up academic resources mm. on comparing Shaun of the Dead to uh, the Arthurian legend. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's um, a good point. It was, it was mostly just looking up uh, the Arthurian legend and looking up Shaun of the Dead and trying to find parallels, which there are a lot of them. No, I believe I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. What that reminded me of is that while while I could not find thank you while I could not find anything that even remotely bridged the gap between Gabriel Gar- Garcia Marquez and T. S. Eliot's The Wasteland, I could find <laughs> a story on the intertextuality of um, modern canon to classical canon based on a research paper published in an academic journal called the simpsons did it first (laughs) entirely about things that south park did that the simpsons had already done well you know what's funny about that though that's Mm. uh, um there's there's an episode yes no that's the uh, that's the basis of thesis yeah it's uh, it's butters as uh dr oh man i forget the name it's 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 butters's uh alter ego where he's like a villain Butters is the best character on South Park. I believe you. Um, but he's got like a sidekick, and every time he tries to do something, The Simpsons did it first. Yeah. Oh, Simpsons did it first. <laughs> that's perfect. Yeah, mm. somewhere, I wish I could tell you which academic lit. Well, that's that's because South. But I mean, South Park just as a show is is just genius. Um, yeah. I don't well, know I if mean, it's I don't know if it's Matt Parker and and uh, Trey, Trey Stone. Stone being that smart, or if they just have a really good writing crew. I think it's both. But. Yeah, like whenever uh, they have some some sort of miss episodes, but I think most of the stuff provides this really great commentary yeah. on I everything. Th- I think somehow in an impressive nineteen seasons of creating things, every season has has yielded at least one thing or uh, one pocket of things that is worth remembering. Oh, and I, that's, I wouldn't doubt that at all. That's insanely prolific, especially in like TV terms. That's crazy. And that's why Shaun of the Dead is awesome. Oh, my God. 
<laughs> if I were lost in the wilderness, I would have never found the train tracks of that thought. <laughs> no, I think we were talking about um, my, my paper and it yes. kind of got us off too. Yeah. And, and I mean, the reason that my paper was off, but it was like, and, and even, even though it was a C, I think it, it wasn't, it wasn't a good grade. Um, it could have been better. Even though it wasn't as, as high as it could be, it's still one of those things that I that I look back upon and s- sometimes brag about because, like, yeah, I had a class once where we talked about werewolves, and my my term paper for it was uh, comparing Shaun of the Dead to King Arthur. That's perfect, though. Like Shaun <laughs> of the Dead and King Arthur, totally. Yeah, works. no, it's it's ridiculous. Like, um, I mean, if you exclude the part of uh, Arthur's foretold death, like the the main arcs, yeah, no, that's perfect. Um, I mean, it was, uh, he's got the girl who's, uh, got a relationship with another guy. Um, you know, the Guinevere Lancelot relationship. Mm-hmm. He's got the, uh, the, the best friend that, um, who's got his own little thing going on on the side. Yeah. Because, uh, Nick Frost's character spends the entire movie just not paying attention to anything yeah. that's going on around him. Completely oblivious to how in danger his life is. Yeah. Um, he's got, he's got, he's got Excalibur, the cricket bat. Okay. Yeah. Um, with it, not necessarily the Arthurian part of that, but the, the hero journey, there's the whole, um, father relationship with him and Phil, because you can't have a hero journey until he confronts this relationship with his father. (laughs) That's, that's just written into the rules. Well, there might've been like a parental thing. I don't, I don't know if I'd put that in there, though. No, no. Um, and it's it's like they're on a quest the entire time mm-hmm. that they keep uh, stating what their quest is. I don't know if that was something I'd put in the paper, either. Um, I wonder where Irene fits in that. I think that's her name. Irene. Irene. No, um, Elena. Whatever. Um, she plays Daisy in the TV show Space. What's, what's the character in show? Valerie, maybe. The, the girlfriend of... No. um Okay. At the beginning of Shaun yeah. the Dead, he runs into his friend. Oh, I, I don't I don't think I'd put anything in there about okay. her. No, but if you were going to follow the Arthurian legend, she has to have a counterpoint. Now, and I think this exists. Any, any fledgling or professional Arthurian legend people, please. <laughs> um, I think her name's Valerie. Okay. Uh... At one point, when they're on the trek to get to the Winchester, Sean crosses paths with an old friend, and she's there with the exact counterpoint of every character in Sean's party. It's her boyfriend, his roommates, her mom, and a stoner friend. Um, and then she reappears at the end of the movie. Okay, her name is Timson Gregg? Yes. And I'm, I'm almost... God fucking damn it. She plays Daisy in Spaced. I think her name is Valerie in Shaun of the Dead. Go. Cut. Go away. She also appears in Doctor Who. Um, it's a two-part episode in Martha's series. Um, culminating with the Family of Blood um, episode. Nurse. It just says nurse. 2005? It was the Doctor Who. Wait. I didn't, I didn't get Her name wasn't Maggie Doctor Who. Hang on. I'm almost there. My phone's charging. I don't. 
Yeah, it just says nurse. I know what doctor is. She was in Black Books, too. Maggie. No, wait. Shaun of the Dead. No, that's not who that is. That's not what I'm thinking of. Hold on. I'm going to fix it. Cut here. Because <laughs> I can't think of her name. What's going on? Why is everything confusing? Peter Serafinovitz. Do you want me to get to Shaun of the Dead? No, I got it. I'm, I'm leaving this in. Fuck that. You can't tell me to cut whatever I don't want to cut. Like, don't leave. <laughs> Jessica Hines. Her name's Yvonne. Yvonne. Okay. No, I know the character you're talking about. Yeah. Um. How are you doing? Surviving. Yes. She has to have a counterpart in the Arthurian legend, but I can't think of what it is. What's the uh, the character's name? Wait. Oh, you know what? Yvonne. Shaun of the Dead. Yvonne, with a Y. Arthurian? <laughs> Please take out the awkward, long pauses of silence. No, it says, I can't, um... It's one of those things I would have to look up. That's fine. I mean, this is supposing that someone after you, or before you, I don't know, has been like, let's write an academic paper about <laughs> Shaun of the Dead and the Arthurian journey. But I could totally see that. Yeah, no, I she, mean, yeah, there's counterparts to everything. Man, it's so good. Shaun of the Dead is so good. Like, on I think it's up there with Night of the Living Dead for me. <sighs> In fact, fun fact, uh, Simon Edgar Peg. Wright no, and Edgar. Simon Pegg mm -hmm. appear as zombies in Land of the Dead. Ye I think I knew that. You know, this it's it's a scene. I didn't see Land of the Dead. It was okay. It wasn't. I, I it wasn't amazing. I watch a lot of zombie movies, but I don't watch every zombie movie that comes out. Well, the reason that I had watched it, it was because uh, it was by uh, George A. Romero. Yeah, I totally should have watched that one. Yeah. I just didn't. I mean, it was, it was okay. Yeah. Um, I think photos of them in makeup made it into Simon Pegg's A Ne'er-Do-Well. There's, there's a scene, though, where they have people that you can, like, take pictures. It's like, take pictures with a zombie. Um, they have, like, zombies chained up. And you, like, stand in front of them and you make, like, scared faces. And they, like, <laughs> take your picture. For the record, at the uh, Creation Museum in Florence, Kentucky, the one founded by Ken Ham, who <laughs> debated Bill Nye, science guy, uh, they have a green screen for photo ops. <laughs> and they tell you to look scared. And then they Photoshop dinosaurs attacking you. <laughs> I have a photo of me and the family that let me go with them on their trip to the <laughs> creation museum getting attacked by dinosaurs <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. i really like that museum it had very nice topiaries <laughs> <laughs> run-of-the-mill museums don't just have really good t-rex topiaries hanging out in march after winter <laughs> it was a positive experience i enjoyed it um <laughs> I'm not a new earth creationist. I think it's young earth. Is the, uh, That's what I meant. Yeah. Shaun of the Dead. Shaun so. of the Dead. So, top five. Top five. Favorite movies. Uh, my two. My two and a half. Stranger Than Fiction, because I have strong feelings. V for Vendetta. And then we're sharing Shaun of the Dead. Mine. Star Wars, episode four. 
A New Hope. Proto nerd. AKA Star Wars. Where it all began. Yes. And Clerks. And we share Shaun of the Dead. We share Shaun of the Dead. And you should check out, um, if you haven't, you should check out just marathon all three of the uh, Cornetta trilogy. Because I think I knew I had to have an Edgar Wright movie on here. Oh, absolutely. Um, if it wasn't going to be Shaun of the Dead, it was going to be, uh, I was going to push for uh, Scott Pilgrim. Oh, man. Scott Pilgrim, based on my criteria for Stranger Than Fiction, uh, like as movies, or Stranger Than Fiction, View Vendetta, movies that get better every time you watch them. Scott Pilgrim is definitely up there. Yeah, I know. There's so many little things in Scott Pilgrim. But Uh, it was also written that way as a comic. I know. But kudos to Edgar Wright for keeping what was really nice. Oh, yeah. I remember thinking it was weird that they had Michael Sarah. (laughs) And I've read the first few books of Scott Pilgrim. Do we want to do some honorable mentions? Eh, sure. I don't know. But, um. No, we'll save those. If we do another five movies that you should watch or some shit. Yeah. I, I read the first chunk of books from the Scott Pilgrim series. Um, and Brian O'Malley had characterized Scott so differently than Michael Sarah is as an actor. And so it was an Michael Sarah did a good job. Whoa. Ooh, I'm glad that was on top. Michael Sarah did a good job as uh, Scott Pilgrim, though, I think. Yeah, he did. It's just, like, Edgar Wright's direction managed to change the Scott Pilgrim character from how Brian O'Malley had like written him on page to be something that worked within the world that Edgar Wright built. So that it's like, oh, yeah. Canada. Edgar Wright built Canada. That's also true. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Dear Canada, I love you. And depending on how our presidential <laughs> campaign goes, I may need to move there. I'm not saying Edgar Wright built you. <laughs> And please, on the seventh day, please no, let me into Toronto. On the Toronto. eighth day, Edgar Wright made Canada. <laughs> please let me into Toronto if I need it. <laughs> also, pray for that Trump doesn't win. It's the uh, the director's edition of the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> on the seventh day, God uh, rested and it was good. That, and on the eighth day, Edgar Wright made Canada. <laughs> Oh my god. That is the greatest story ever told that I would watch. Oh this is the guy with a chisel. I don't know what I'm doing out here. Lots of ice. It's so cold. Edgar Wright's, Edgar Wright's English, right? I didn't he is English. Okay. Oh my god. <laughs> It'd be really awkward if he was some other nationality. No, he's super English. He made space. I thought he was super English. He is super English. <laughs> Oh, good times. <laughs> I think we should end on that. Just end on a high note. No, we should end with a proper <laughs> ending. Okay. Couple of movies, listeners. One, you're beautiful. <laughs> Two. <laughs> I like how you're serious right now. <laughs> okay. That first bullet statement, if you were drunk with me right now, you'd be beautiful. That's the thing. That exists. That's part of drinking with Maggie. Two. Find us on Twitter if you haven't already. Three, interact with us on our social media. Because we're on Twitter and we're on Facebook. Couple of movies at gmail.com. Send us questions. Send us feedback. Positive, negative, does not matter. Um, we'll take any sort of attention you give us. We're like poorly trained puppies. 
Uh, after this, we're going to pick up watching one movie per episode and just discussing the madness of it. So definitely, if you're like, hey, these weirdos should watch this, tell us what we should watch. Um, and depending on how drunk I get, I'll okay it. It's fine. <laughs> Uh, you want to watch Cyberbully tonight? It made me oh sad. Oh, God. Cyberbully <laughs> sounds terrible. <laughs> I was very sober when you recommended that. And I just did not foretell being able to get drunk enough to watch a Lifetime original. Ugh. If it had been ABC Family original. No, it looked... Uh, that doesn't make it better. There, There is an ABC Family original I will watch. It's called Queen Size. It's got the main actress from the remake of Hairspray and one James B. McDaniel. Playing a teenager when he's well into his 20s. <laughs> I would watch that if you can find it. Because I don't think it's on Netflix. As in Peppermint Fatty? Yeah, pep at Peppermint does Fatty. Have, does he have a speaking role? I believe so. It's, it's listed on his IMDb page. <laughs> James B. McDaniel. I just learned that he has an IMDb page today. Yeah, he does. Listed among his IMDb entries. Leaves of Grass with Ed Norton. Hope they serve beer in hell. The okay. movie's... Yeah. Anyway, um, this was supposed to be a relatively streamlined goodbye, and then we got off topic. Yeah. Uh, um, send us recommendations. Tell us if you like it. Tell us if you don't like it. We'll take your negative feedback, blot out your name, and make fun of you on Twitter. <laughs> um, yes. At Couple of Movies, Twitter, Facebook, email. Interact with us. We need uh, attention. C O U P L A. Yes. Movies. Couple of movies, and also uh, rate us on Twitter, on Instagram. No shit. Twitter, uh, YouTube. No. Twitter. iTunes. iTunes. <laughs> wow. <laughs> also rate us on iTunes. Please give us stars <laughs> and <laughs> feedback on iTunes. I'm gonna I'm gonna edit this part <laughs> down so that it sounds terrible. Um. Yeah, so until next time, we are a couple of movies. We're your host, Robbie. And Maggie. We'll see you on the flip side. Woo!